right. Amen to that. Thank you, guys. Hey, we are continuing our series in the book of Revelation to the seven churches of, of Revelation. Uh, again, Revelation, just a quick recap, is a apocalyptic literature. The goal of Revelation is to give the readers a, a way of seeing the world behind the world. It's unveiling of the physical realm so that you begin to see what's going on in the spiritual realm and how that realm has a tremendous influence into the life of the believer, into, into the, uh, the daily struggles of the believer. Right? See, the believer, they live in a, in, in a country, in a world, in a town, in a city, in a place that has their physical struggles. But what the, revelation, what book, what the book of Revelation does is that it, it peels back that layer and it shows us that behind the physical entities that are dealing and manipulating and working in the, 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 the area, there is a principality and authority that is governing and watching, manipulating and speaking into those things, right? And as a believer, if we understand that, if we understand that dynamic, that struggle, then we have the ability to continue to fight, stand firm and strong in our faith, right? We have a way to, we have a pathway to go forward, which is the way of the Lamb. In the midst of all of these trajectories, all of these ways of doing life, the book of Revelation calls us as a believer, as a church, as a people, as humanity, that the most effective, that the most flourishing, the most powerful, and the most life-giving way to walk is the way of the Lamb. And we've talked about so many different churches and their struggles in the book of Revelation up to this point. We're going to talk about a church who actually had no weaknesses, that God actually looked at this church and called them faithful, right? That Jesus writing to this church really didn't call them out for anything wrong. They were the church that was actually being driven by not the kingdom of complacency, not the kingdom of compromise, not any of those different kingdoms, but the kingdom of God. They were driven by the kingdom of God, the church that was faithful. And that is the church of Philadelphia. And we're going to learn about their faithfulness what made them so unique in that faithfulness. And we're going to see how we can adapt that as well into our Christian walk and what Jesus Christ talks to us about this church. So a quick background on uh, Revelation, uh, on the book of, on the church of Philadelphia, in Philadelphia. Philadelphia was known as Little Athens for there were many, many temples of worship in this town, right? But this town was also located on top of a fault line. Just like how California, the San Andreas Fault, we are located, they were located on top of a fault line. And earthquake destroyed the city over and over. If you go to the city, the, the, the ancient manuscripts will say that there were cracks on the walls, okay? Uh, people lost everything over and over. Some moved to the outskirts of the city just to, just to uh, make sure that they don't get in trouble again or get, have that problem happen to them, right? People in that city lived in constant fear fear of the next earthquake. And so every decision that they made was made with uh, insecurity in mind because they're thinking, well, what if the next earthquake happens? We can't plan that because what if the next earthquake happens? Well, we can't build our house this way because what if the next earthquake happens? Or we can't, you know, go to the school because what if the next earthquake happens? They, they planned everything around this issue of insecurity and impermanence. So they, 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 they never had real security in the place where they lived, okay? And so out of this area, 
We have the church in Philadelphia, this tiny little church, okay, in the midst of all of these temples that was being worshipped, in the midst of all this insecurity of physical insecurity, livelihood insecurity, we have this church. And Jesus writes a letter and he gives it to the angel of this church, right, the messenger of this church. And this is what he says, Revelation chapter 3, verses 7 to 13. All right, you open your Bibles, let's read it together. So to the angel of the church in Philadelphia, write, These are the words of him who is holy and true, who holds the key of David. What he opens, no one can shut, and what he shuts, no one can open. I know your deeds. See, I have placed before you an open door that no one can shut. I know that you have little strength, yet you have kept my word and have not denied my name. I will make those who are of the synagogue of Satan, who claim to be Jews, though they are not, but are liars, I will make them come and fall down at your feet and acknowledge that I have loved you. Since you have kept my command to endure patiently, I will also keep you from the hour of trial that is going to come upon the whole world to test those who live on the earth. I am coming soon. Hold on to what you have so that no one will take your crown. Him who overcomes, I will make a pillar in the temple of my God. Never again will he leave it. I will write on him the name of my God and the name of the city of my God, the new Jerusalem, which is coming down out of heaven from my God. And I will also write on him my new name. He who has an ear, let him hear what the Spirit says to the churches. Amen. All right. So, we're going to learn three things about this city, okay? About this church in the city. It's about the, the faith, about the, this, this concept of faithfulness, okay? We're going to learn about the character of faithfulness, the mission of those who are faithful, and the power to continue in your faithfulness, okay? We're going to learn about the character issues of faithfulness, the mission of those who are faithful, and the power to continue in your faithfulness. All right, so first thing first, look at verse 7. This is uh, Jesus giving a description of himself. To the angel of the church in Philadelphia, these are the words him, of him who is holy and true and holds the king of David. What he opens, no one can shut, and what he shuts, no one can open. See, what we see here, the character of faithfulness is a very... Um, exclusive mindset, okay? To have the character of faithfulness is to have a very exclusive mindset, but it's a very exclusive, inclusive mindset, which I'll, I'll explain to you a little bit later. But the character of faithfulness is that you are faithfully following after Jesus and only Him. But there is an inclusiveness to your faithfulness. And I want to make sure you guys understand that concept. So first, Jesus describes Himself as holy, what does holy mean? Jesus says, I am unique. I am distinct. There is no one like me. There is no one comparable to me. I am incomparable to anything. I am set apart. I am distinct. I am unique. Right? I am sacred. Okay? He says that he is true as opposed to those who are not true. As opposed to those who are false. As opposed to what is lies. And so what Jesus is doing is he is he is separating himself from the rest of the world. He is separating his 
his being, his uniqueness, his, his entity from everything else around him, whether it's physical as a king, kingdoms, whether it's spiritual as dominion, he is saying, I am holy. None of these things is, incompa- is comparable to me. I am incomparable. I am sacred. I am unique. I am distinct. There is no heavens like my. There is no gods in heaven like me. There is no principalities like me. There is no spiritual beings like me. In the same way he's saying there is no kings like me. There is no man like me. There is nothing in this world that I can be compared to. I am very exclusive. Okay. He also says what? He holds the key to David's, right? He holds the key to David. Now what does that mean? The key to David is referencing to the idea of of, of a kingdom, David's kingdom, which is the kingdom of Israel, right? Which is, is kind of like a metaphor to the kingdom of God, which is because through the kingdom of Israel is where you enter to the kingdom of God. And so when Jesus is saying, I alone hold the key to David, he is saying, I hold the key to David's kingdom, which is saying, I hold the key to heaven itself. I hold the key to the kingdom of God itself. What I open, no one can shut. And what I shut, no one can open. Meaning, no one else has this key. No one else has this ability. The Bible says, Jesus is the way, the truth, and the life. No one comes to the Father except through Him. What Jesus is doing here is He is is separating Himself from every type of ideology, every type of thought process, every type of examples, every type of created being. He is is separating Himself from all of these things. And He's saying, I am very, very distinct, unique. Right? And so, when we start thinking about this, right, we start saying stuff like, well, isn't that the big problem of religion, PT? Is that it's so exclusive? It's either his way or the highway? It's either like, believe in me or else you're going to be damned and condemned to hell forever? How is that loving? How is that beautiful? How is that kind? Right? I want to tell you guys something about the idea of exclusiveness. Okay, which maybe you guys don't want to, uh, maybe you, you miss sometimes. Everybody is exclusive. It's not just a religious thought pattern. Everybody is religious. Okay? When it comes to spiritual reality, it's impossible not to be exclusive. The key here is, think about every type of thought process, focus, what you will realize in the end is that everybody thinks exclusively, okay? Like, for example, if someone said, yo, it's arrogant for you to try to convert people to your faith, right? That sounds very, like, um, as a very clear critique of religion, right? It's, it's very arrogant for you to evangelize and try to convert people to Christianity, right? You're so exclusive, but you don't realize that the person who's trying to say this to you, who's saying that it's arrogant to convert people, is trying to do what to you? He's trying to convert you to think like him. To think like it's arrogant to try to convert people. You guys get me? It's exclusive wherever you go. Religious truth are based on cultural and historical context, therefore cannot be taken seriously. Some people will say that, right? 
You can't take uh, religion because if you are if you were raised in the Western world, you would have believed in Christianity. If you were raised in the Muslim world, you would believe in Islam. If you were raised in the Asian world, you, I mean the the uh, middle uh, Far East or just Asia, you would believe in Buddhism, Hinduism, and all those other religions, right? See that statement is also very exclusive, okay? Because that statement is a statement that is culturally and historically biased as well. So when I say like, hey, if you live there, that's how you would think. If you live here, that's how you would think. But when I say that, I am basing that statement on the way I grew up here. In America. In the Western world. I am saying that not because I just came up with this idea. It's because the Western world has dictated that same thing too. Right? Everybody is exclusive. In their own possible way. Look at even our culture climate today, right? The culture climate today is like, look, there is no free speech. What it is is either you listen to me or we exclude you. You listen to me, you come in line, you fall in line, or we exclude you. We cancel you. We make your life a living nightmare. Everybody's exclusive. Nobody is as any possible way saying that in any way that you're inclusive. There's no faith that's like that. There's no thought process like that. There's no ideology like that. Everybody's exclusive. Now the question is here, you guys ready? Is whose exclusive faith, whose exclusive ideology makes room for inclusiveness? Whose way of thinking opens the door to include everyone else in? See, faithfulness, the character of faithfulness is this. You are faithful to Jesus, but you are also faithful what? To what he says about people. See, in Christianity, the heart of Christianity, the heart of the gospel, is a man dying on the cross for his enemy. See, Jesus dying on the cross is the gospel message of saying everybody is equal and that we are all sinners. We're all broken. So you can no way possibly think that what you think, what you feel, what you say is above somebody else. Your position, your job, the amount of money you have, the status that you possess, that you think possibly that you're above somebody else. Because in Christianity, Jesus dying on the cross tells us we are all sinners in need of salvation. We're all on the same playing field. So you can never think that you're better than somebody. And at the same time, you can never think you're worse than anybody. Because the moment you think you're better than somebody, you forgot that you are a sinner who needs salvation. But the moment you think that you are worse than somebody, you don't have enough status, you don't have enough ability, you don't have enough clout, you don't have enough uh, power, right? The moment you think that is the moment you forgot that you are the son and daughter of a king. See, in Christianity, what it does, it opens up the door that though you are faithfully following after Jesus, your heart, your demeanor, your action includes everyone. That's why the, the story of the Good Samaritan that Jesus preaches was such a, a powerful story. It was a, it, it was, it was a parable that, that gave the example that we are, as His people, called to do what? 
be a neighbor to those who are different from us racially, be a neighbor who are different from us in gender affiliation, be a neighbor to those who are different to us from political standings, to be a neighbor to those who are different from us in um, our personal tastes and likings. You get me? Though you are faithfully following after Jesus, the gospel puts you in a position that it makes it impossible for you not to include people. And I believe Christianity is the only one that does that. That at the heart of it, if you live your faith out faithfully, the characteristics of true faithfulness is that Jesus Christ is the only way. He is the one who holds the key to David. He is holy. He is true. There is nothing else like him. There is no one else like him. And if you are faithful to that, it also leads you to do what? Therefore, as a follower of Jesus, I stretch out my hands to everyone because I know that I am no better to anyone. That I am called to be a neighbor to everyone, whether they think like me, whether they act like me, whether they look like me, whether they even feel like me. It does not matter whether I consider them my enemy or whether they consider me as their enemy. It does not matter. Christianity opens the door for you to say, I am called to include everyone into my life. That is the characteristics of faithfulness. Is that you, church? Is that the way you've been thinking lately, these past few months? Have you in your pursuit of whatever truth you're holding on to, have you opened the door to bring in other people? Have you opened the door to include others? See, without Christianity, it's impossible, isn't it? Don't you find that hard? Don't you find yourself always arguing, always upset? You see, but if you come at it from the faithfulness to Jesus, what you begin to remember, I'm no better than any man. And the word of my God, the truth of his word tells me, that person, that person, that person, right? They're my neighbors. And I'm equal in standing with them because why? I am a sinner who's, who's in need of salvation. So how dare I think that I'm better? Even in intellect, even in knowledge, even in depth, how dare I think I'm better? But at the same time, how dare I think I'm worse? See, the characteristic of faithfulness is what? You are exclusive for Jesus. But in that exclusiveness, you are inclusive of everyone else around you. Those who consider you their enemy. Those who are different from you. Those who are politically uh, swayed in a different direction than you. Those who are... Uh, those whose ideologies are different from you. Christianity calls us to be faithful. And this is what the Church of Philadelphia was all about. They were faithful. They were faithful to Jesus, no one else. And they opened their hands to those who were there, who called them their enemies. And who were those people who called them their enemies? They were the Jews who kicked them out of their synagogues because they said, you know what? Uh, you're not real Jews, because real Jews don't believe in that Jesus stuff. But they were called to do what? Minister to them. Minister to them. That's why later on, when, uh, when you read it, Jesus will say, I will call those people who think that they're a minister of my gospel. No, they're, they're a church of Satan to come. Synagogue of Satan. They will come and re recognize that you 
of the one whom I have loved. Right? They were sharing to people on the outskirts of the town who were fearful. People who lost their homes, people whose worlds were torn apart. They were faithful in reaching out to everyone. See, they were not liked by anybody. They were Jews and Gentiles, right? The, Jews, uh, the Roman government didn't like them because they were Jews. And the Jewish community didn't like them because they were Christians. They didn't belong anywhere. And yet they still did what? Did they compromise? Did they, were, were they complacent? No. They stayed faithful to Jesus at the same time. They live their life inclusive to the world and to the community around them. That's the character of faithfulness, church. But here's the second thing. So what is the mission of those who are faithful? What are the mission of those who are faithful? Look at verse 8 to 10. I know your deeds. This is what Jesus said. I know, what, I know, I know what's going on. I know what you've done. Even though you may think that it's, it's nothing and you may think like no one's watching. You may think like it's, it's pretty much useless. Paul, uh, Jesus is saying, I know your deeds. See, I have placed before you an open door that no one can shut. I know that you have little strength, yet you have kept my word and have not denied my name. I will make those who are the synagogue of Satan who claim to be Jews, though they are not, but are liars, I will make them come and fall down at your feet and acknowledge that I have loved you. Since you have kept my command to endure patiently, I will also keep you from the hour of trial that is going to come upon the whole world to test those who live on the earth. See, the mission of those who are faithful is to continue to reach out into the world, is to continue to go out into this world. See, in the Old Testament, whenever God has met His people, He doesn't just say, I met you, so now enjoy yourself, live a good life, do your thing. The moment He has met them, He has sent them out. The moment He has touched their hearts, He has moved them forth. And now go out. Go out and speak of my kingdom. Go out and fight the good fight. Go out and spread my kingdom to the ends of the earth. See, it was never to stay in the presence of God forever. It is to have a mission to move forward. See, the mission of those who are faithful is to continue to go out. See, they went out. See, this church went out even though they had very little power. Now, this is not about spiritual power. This is about the power of influence, ability, or impact. They had no power. They were a very small church, the Church of Philadelphia. Very small congregation. Okay? They had no power whatsoever. And yet, and yet, what do we see? Jesus says, I know, I know that you lack ability. I know that you lack influence. I know that you lack impact. But he commends them. You know why? Because it's not about the success and it's not about the abilities. It's about faithfulness. See, the mission for those who are faithful is to go out faithfully. It's to continue to go out faithfully. See, God blesses faithfulness it's not about success. It's about whether you were continuously being faithful to what He's called you to do. They had a lot of opposition, like I said. But Jesus promised them what? Victory. The Jews that I want you to reach, the Jews that I want you to preach this message to, He says later what? They will come. Even though they think that you guys are, um, are, are, are uh, a... a a random sect, a cult, 
even though they don't, they don't think that you guys are legitimate, right? I want you to go and speak to them. Go and share with them. Go reason with them. Go serve them. Go love them. Okay? And though they think to themselves that they are the only one who is able to be loved by God because they belong to the synagogue of the Jews. But no, let me tell you something. They will know that they are a synagogue of Satan and what they speak is lies. And they will come to you and they will recognize one day that you are the one whom I have loved. He calls them to go, right, out. See, we are called to be the same, you and I. See, the mission of those who are faithful is to go out faithfully. Not about, not about your ability. It wasn't about your impact. It wasn't about how much influence you can create first before you go out. It's about going out first and letting God do His thing. See, oftentimes we make the excuse, don't we? You and I, we make the excuse of, I'm inadequate. I'm not equipped enough. I don't know enough. I don't have the ability. My voice and my demeanor holds no power. It has no imp impact. I'm not like so-and-so. I don't have this gift. I don't have that gift. Do you guys recognize how self-centered that is? Do, do you see that? Let me explain to you why that's such a self-centered way of thinking. See, you're saying, I feel this way. Therefore, I will not do it because it will not bring success, right? You're thinking, I, I, will, I will not do it because I, it will not bring success. You're, you're thinking about only your abilities. It's not about faithfulness to God. See, but the church of Philadelphia, what was it like? They were like, I feel this way. I have no power nor abilities, but God commands it. So I'll be faithful to it and leave the results to him. You guys get me? On one end, when you say like, I'm inadequate, I can't do it, so I'm not going to go out there and do it because I'm just going to fail. Self-centered way of thinking. But the church of Philadelphia was like, I'm inadequate. I don't have the words. I don't have the abilities. But God commands it. So I'm just going to do it faithfully and leave the results to him, success or not. And that's what you need to get into your mind, church. See, the mission of those who are faithful is to faithfully go and leave the result to God. Leave the results to God. Don't, don't try to plan the success first. Focus on your heart and mind. Say, I will do this simply because God has commanded me first. He is true. He is holy. He is distinct. He is unique. I am to be faithful to Him, and if He commands me, I will faithfully carry it out, leaving the result of it to Him. If it's success, praise the Lord. If it's a failure, praise the Lord. It's about faithfulness to go. I'll give you some examples, right? Um, I, mean, I share the story so many times that it's almost a broken record. But, you know, when I was at the old Korean church, like we, when, um, we had this moment where we lost all of our head leaders, all of our big guys. Like they just ended up, they had left the church. There was no praise. There was no worship on Sundays. And so, like, I remember my youth pastor taught me, like, you know, to have a church, there's a couple of things you need to do, right, to, to be considered a community that follows after Jesus. There's, there's praise. There's Bible study. 
right? There's fellowship, there's evangelism, and there's outreach. So these things must be there for you to really say that you are a follower of Jesus Christ, a church that's doing His work. And one of the things I kind of focused on was there was no praise. Because I, I came to church, I really enjoyed the praise, I love uh, praise time, so there was no praise. So I decided I'm going to lead prayer, lead praise. Albeit, one, I can't sing on key. Two, I only know three chords, G, C, and D. Right? Which is, for most church songs, that's all you really need, right? G, C, and D. Okay? And I remember for the first year, it was horrible. I, don't, I, gave up, I, like, I gave up mentally so many times. Right? People came to church service like 30 minutes late just so they didn't have to listen to the praise part. You know? But in my head, I kept thinking to myself, to have a community of faith of church that has to be praised in Bible study, the Word of God being taught, so I was going to do it, even though I felt like I wasn't doing very well. I didn't have any success. I'm not very good at singing, and let alone guitar playing music. I'm not musically inclined. But we continued, right? We continued. And so after a while of continuing, I realized I should probably learn a couple more chords, you know, bust out the E minor, Tony, like try to learn that. Get the E chords going. Get the bar chords going, you know? Just be consistent. Be faithful to what He's called. And, you know, praise the Lord that in that, the story is not that I, was, I became an awesome praise leader. That was not the story at all. That, I did not do that. That was, that was a, a, a reminder to me to, to remember that we are gifted in certain things, right? But there are seasons when we are called to be faithful, even in areas that we are weak at. The beauty of that story was this, right? In, in the continuous wanting to be faithful, right? I taught our first two praise leaders who were like me, didn't know a single thing about the guitar, but I taught them their first three chords, G, C, and D. But thankfully, they were more musically inclined, and thankfully, they were much better singers. And after G, C, and D, they learned how to actually play a lot better. And we had praise teams later on in those years. So I thank God for that. But you see, the mission of those who are faithful is to faithfully continue to go out and do. For example, AZ Mission. You guys have been to AZ Mission. You know we've been going to that AZ Mission for like so many years. I've been there almost, like we've been in this uh, district for 10 years. Pastor Vic's been doing that for even more. And all those years, and all those years of just faithfully going, never, never had we had any baptism. Minus about, what, three, four years ago? We had our first baptism in 15 years of faithfully going out there every summer we got our first baptism that's amazing faithfulness it wasn't about success it wasn't about whether you're gifted or you have the ability it's about faithfulness moving forward or some of you guys like husband and wife relationship some of you guys may think of my spouse is just they're just not they, they just don't want anything to do with the church. They just go through the motion of the church. They, they, they go through what I tell them to do, but they're not really there. They're not really in it. What does God call you to do? Be faithful and leave the results to Him. You be faithful. If your spouse is not faithful, you continue to be faithful. If he or she is not showing up to small groups, you show up to small groups. If he or she is not showing up to church, you show up to church. You bring your kids to church. If they're not learning the Bible, you learn the Bible. You are faithful 
and bringing that, not just for you, but you're faithful in following after Jesus Christ. You're faithful in encouraging your spouse over and over. They may not like it here and there. They may not like it for the moment. But faithfulness of encouraging, of calling, and you leave the result to God. God will deal with your spouse. But you be faithful. Leading a small group. You may think like, oh, I'm too inadequate. I can't do a small group. I'm not equipped enough. I don't have enough knowledge or abilities. Right? And that might be true. That might be true. But he calls us to do what? Be faithful to what you do know. Teach what you do know. Continue on that. You know, we have an amazing resource called the Internet. You can Google things that you can't Google anymore. You can learn things. There's so many biblical apps out there. There's so many places that you can go to learn how to do this. But if you will be faithful to it, you leave the result to God. Or evangelizing. You know, one of the things we have always talked about, or a big thing that we've been talking about this year is about evangelism. We want you guys to evangelize as a way of, 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 of faithfully, a way of carrying out your mission faithfully. It is to evangelize. He said, I'm inadequate. I don't have the ability. I don't know what to say. I feel kind of awkward. It's, it's, I'm so busy. See, the mission of those who are faithful is to what? Is to continue to go out faithfully and leaving the result to God. That if you would do it, that if you will continue to do it, that you will practice doing it, you will see what God will do through that. The success of God is not important, right? Your personal success is not important. The important thing is that you listen to God and you follow His command. See, the Church of Philadelphia, what made them so unique and so special? Because one, they faithfully followed after Jesus Christ, Him and Him alone while at the same time opening their hands to the world around them, including all those who were different, all those who were um, uh, who was not like them, bringing everyone in, even their enemies, bringing people and serving them, loving them. And two, they were faithful to do what? To go out and do that. They were faithful to the mission to constantly go out and do that. Not thinking about their power, not thinking about their influence, not thinking about their abilities, but they went out because God has commanded them. That's what made Philadelphia the church of faithfulness. That's why Philadelphia was the church that fought for God's kingdom and no other kingdom had its power over them. And lastly, all right, what is the power to carry out faithfulness? Where, where do we draw the conviction, the power, the motivation to carry out faithfulness, right? Look at verse 11 to 13. This is what Jesus says. I am coming soon. Hold on to what you have, hold on to what you have so that no one will take your crown. Him who overcomes, I will make a pillar in the temple of my God. Never again will he leave it. I will write on him the name of my God and the name of the city of my God, the new Jerusalem, which is coming down out of heaven from God, from my God. And I will also write on him my new name. He who has an ear, let him hear what the Spirit says to the churches. And so what Jesus is saying is this. He, he gives them a couple of ideas, promises. He gives them a couple promises to hold on to. Okay? He held... He gave them 
this promise. One was that they will be the pillar in the temple of my God. You will be a pillar in the temple of my God and never will you leave it again. In a city ravaged by earthquake, in a city where their future was constantly up in the air, in a city where they had made every decision based on whether an earthquake might or might not happen, Jesus promised them, I will make you a pillar in the house of my God and you will never have to leave. You know what that tells them? It gave them the spirit of security. It gave them a spirit of permanence. It gave them peace to know there will be a moment where they stand before the court of God and they will never have to worry about what's next. You see, this may not be relevant to you because we really rarely worry about stuff, right? But if you go to third world country, you see Christians who are struggling day to day for water. For water shelter, the basic necessities. A promise like this was everything. A promise like this was everything. See, we may not need the security of a home, right, the permanence of it, but maybe what God is, Jesus is saying to you is that be faithful to me and my promise is this. The things that you stay up at night worrying about, your bills, your health, Things that you stay up at night worrying about your children, what's going to become of them, your personal life, your relationship. I am giving you security. I promise you that. There will be a day where there will be no more fear, no more pain, no more tears. He gives them promises. The next thing he promised them was what? I will give you the name of my God. I will write on him the name of my God and the name of the city of my God. See, the name of my God means what? I will write on you sonship. Right? You are no longer illegitimate. Right? Because the Jews and the people around them, they made them, made these Christians feel like they were illegitimate children of God. The Jews in the synagogue were saying, we are the true sons of God. We are the true daughters of God. You Christian sect, you are an illegitimate child of God. He does not want you. And so they can sense the, the, the separation there. They can sense the, the pull there. And so, but they continue to stay faithful. They continue to work out the mission faithfully. And Jesus is saying what? I will write on you the name of my God. Meaning what? You are his children. You are his daughters. You are his sons. You are not illegitimate. And then I will write on you the name of my, the city of my God. It means what? Not only are you the sons of God, but you belong to my kingdom. You are citizens of my kingdom. That is your destination. That is your trajectory. That is your end. You are citizens. You will have citizenship with me. See, Jews, Jewish Christians, okay, were hated by the Romans because why? They were Jews. No one liked them. They didn't feel like they belonged. Jewish Christians were hated by the Jews because why? They were Christians. They didn't feel like they belonged. Right? Anywhere. And Jesus tells them what? You belong here. I have a home for you. I have a home for you. And so you're thinking this, well, that's, that sounds great, PT. That sounds good, right? I mean, but how do I know that this is true? How do, how do I know that these promises of security, these promises of, 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 of identity, 
is promises of future trajectory. How do I know that these promises are true? Simply because just, just to say it? Just, yeah, great. Jesus says, I ensured these promises upon the cross. I am able to hold the key of David because why? My life, my death, my resurrection gives me the key. I got that key because I knew you couldn't get there. I knew that you could not open that door yourself. Who you are, the things that you are, the things that you've done, the things that you think about, it is impossible for you to open that door. I knew that. And so I knew that the only way to do it is that I will do it for you. So I will die on the cross. My death, my resurrection gives me the power to open that door. And if you are faithful to me, if you are faithful to me, that door will never shut on you. My life, my death, and my resurrection is the proof of security, of identity, of trajectory. So be faithful to me. The Church of Philadelphia, they had no other kingdoms over them because why? They had the kingdom of God in their life. And the reason why they had the kingdom of God in their life was because of faithfulness. They exclusively followed only Jesus Christ, their Savior and Lord, at the same time opening their hands to everyone around them, their neighbors, those who differ from them. And they lived their life with the mission to go out faithfully to continue to go out faithfully, even if they feel like they had no power, influence, or ability. Church, my prayer is this. Be faithful. Be faithful. Let's pray.